This is The Guardian. Today, Pakistan is being devastated by floods on a scale never seen before. We find out what it's like on the ground. It began with an excruciating heat wave in May, with temperatures soaring to more than 50 degrees. The summer heat wave that's come months earlier than usual has been melting glaciers in the Himalayas. This is causing flooding that's collapsing some bridges in Pakistan. And the Indus River, which runs the length of the country from north to south, began to swell far beyond its banks. There were flash floods. These are desperate scenes as people hold on to ropes to reach safety. And by June, the monsoon season had arrived abnormally early, bringing the heaviest rains in a decade. We know that the Prime Minister has called these floods the worst in the history of his country. We know every province has been affected. Entire villages were destroyed. Buildings collapsed. 32-year-old student Naruz Jamali, who lives in Islamabad, saw what was happening and he feared for his family and his home village of Gandaka in the Jafrabad district. He went back to volunteer. When you look from a height till your horizon, you just see water and water. And this water is following you everywhere. Every height you go, the water ultimately, after some time, reaches you and then forces you to move somewhere else. By August, a third of the country was underwater and 33 million people were affected. More than a thousand people have died. International aid has begun to arrive, but getting to those who need it most is challenging with some areas completely cut off. Mother Nature showing no mercy. In just seconds, an evacuated hotel, gone. Now, more than 1,200 people have died, many of them children. And this is just the start of the humanitarian crisis to come. The UN Secretary General, Antonio Guterres, has urged the international community to help and to take responsibility. Let's stop sleepwalking towards the destruction of our planet by climate change. Today, it is Pakistan. Tomorrow, it could be your country. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, the desperate fight for survival in Pakistan's climate emergency. Nirolz Jamali, you are a student in Islamabad, but you left the city for your hometown of Gandaka in Jafrabad district of Balochistan province. This is one of the worst hit parts of the country. Why did you go back? Uh, because we live in the peripheries. That's one of the neglected provinces of Pakistan from past experience and histories of different calamities and disasters. I knew the response of the government and I was right about that, that it would not come on time. Mm. So maybe uh, we will raise our voice, we will show the pain and the misery that we are uh, facing here so that someone will help anyone. We came here, we are around 10 people, cousins, before 
the roads and the tracks got closed. So we are like from last 15 days continuing our relief camp here mm. in the flood affected area of my native town. It was just raining like it will be an important memory of my life that I have never seen such continuous and such disturbing and I would call it as a hope killing rains in my life. What has it looked like? What have you seen since you've arrived back where you are? We are just searching for high places. People are looking for that and some hands to help them. Uh, Whenever you pass by the camps, you see people looking at you with their eyes full of hopes that now the car will stop and someone will give them something that they need. You see sick people, old people, they are just lying in this scorching heat, mind you. This season and this uh, year of the time, the sun is the most uh, like disturbing heat sun. Uh, it's so hot mm-hmm. that you cannot stay into the sun for five minutes. You feel like your hair will start burning. So it's such as heat and there people are lying under the wooden logs that they built some kind of shelter, but, but with no roof, like it does not have any uh, tent or something on it. And people are fighting for the spaces. Mm. Why? Because uh, it is important that where your camp is located, is there any shadow? Is, uh, do you have any access to uh, drinking water? So this kind of things. Yeah. You went back to help people. And in that time, in the last couple of weeks, your own family has been evacuated from their home as well, right? They've also lost everything. So how are they coping? My cousin, who is the retired uh, colonel from army, we were trying to save his house, like constantly checking the water level, contacting the district administration uh, about the water, how much water will come. So it was all calculations and fear. We thought that this water would not raise to this level that we need evacuation. So we waited, we waited, but at last time when we were distributing the first aid that came from Karachi, uh, my cousin got the news that the water is entering his house. So he rushed and uh, he helped our mother who is uh, physically handicapped. So we rushed and uh, we took our car out and one of his younger brothers, he took her mother not knowing whether the roads uh, ahead are open or closed, mm. but they don't have any other option or idea. Mm-hmm. After that, his own uh, fish farm and animal farm that were there. So the water raised so high that the level of the fish farm and water got equal and all the fish was swept away uh, by the water. And after that, we just packed our necessary things that we needed for uh, constructing a relief camp and then we moved from our village we left our village and what about women and children how are you coping with the most vulnerable people in these towns and villages everyone was just uh, rushing and saving trying to save themselves and their families whatever transportations was available to them but the poor people who don't own land who work on other people's land uh, so these people, they did not have anything. And the mother carrying her children on her shoulder and other mm-hmm. children are walking by. 
and some of their properties and belongings they are at one place their animals are on some other place and their children they are on the canal bank so people are in continuous and constant confusion and helplessness what should they do how should they handle this thing because these three places where the things and valuables and family is distributed between them there is water yeah Eros, what do people need most right now? What are some of the biggest challenges that they're facing? Uh, first of all, people need medical help right now. This thing got serious. Before, when we started, we focused on cooked meals. But now the situation has changed. This is an agricultural uh, area. So people use different fertilizer into their lands. And when the water rose to such a height that all kind of sewage water, this agricultural waste, uh water all those and the waters coming passing from the cities uh, flooding them so it's kind of like this water has turned into a kind of poison you can say mm. so people are getting skin diseases today just i visited the medical camp they were all with the skin infections and we did not uh, we did not have a doctor to suggest them what should they do we got some of the medicines but there is not an expert doctor that should utilize this medicine for the people and a gynae specialist because there are many pregnant women in the camp and very painfully i am sharing that last night one of our friends uh, he lost his wife in a child birth in delivery case so fortunately the child survived but uh, the mother could not and before that another of our relative he lost his son so many of the such casualties are we are listening and we are getting the news day by day today when i went there one of my cousin he was full of dust and i asked what are you doing he was saying that i was we found find a dry land and we and dig the grave there and i was busy in this funeral so mm-hmm. these are the scenes that i am looking at Nuros, people living in Balochistan and Sindh have seen heavy flooding before. How does this season compare with what happened in 2010? So people say, no, this thing is far worse than 2010 floods. Millions of gallons of water pouring through the Swath Valley, a force of nature with no respect for the route it takes or the millions of people it's affecting. In 2010, massive floods killed around 2,000 people. but since no plans have been implemented to prevent Nuroz how do you feel about what's happened do you think it was inevitable or could it have been stopped i think uh, 2010 and 12 floods they were the clear warning to the government and to the scientists and those who are in power and even common people educated people that you have to change your attitude towards nature you have to stop playing with nature this discourse of development uh this has disturbed the natural uh setup or the phenomena of the environment here but uh nobody took it seriously so that is why the people were not ready like we were prepared we had seen 2010 flood so after that we had built a protection wall 
around our village and we had raised our houses from ground level with putting too much uh, sand into it so that we could avoid this uh, flooding but still our calculations failed all our investment and the money and the technology and the whatever we have spent on building our reconstructing our village but uh, that could not help us i don't know whether the government and had some plans or not we did not see them the implementation of those plans i think they had they had no plan so people were not ready for this do you think they're doing enough now no i think they don't have this is not their priority it's not in their priority list because first of all these floodings cause because you you they they have stopped the natural ways of water by building different canals with different constructions cities so when the water comes it just destroys whatever they have built and with that it destroys the people as well nuros what are you most worried about now the water is still around us so wherever we have established our relief camp now we are following the news that the water has crossed baluchistan now it's uh, rising into sindh where we are staying so the water here also the fear is there that some time after some time maybe we will again uh, leave this place and again go back to the canal bank because that's the highest place mm. and this is very scorching heat so we are afraid that the cholera or uh, such kind of outbreak may occur here and infections i i think it has already occurred the way i was there for an hour at a medical camp and i see people and i observed them i took their photos and their infected feet uh, due to walking into the contaminated water infectious water so i am afraid that uh, similar things and plus i am very much afraid about the kid that born yesterday and her mother died how could he survive in this i asked my cousin that where is the child now her mother is dead you have just you are coming from the funeral and he said the child is there uh, in the tent with the other family members pregnant women i'm afraid for them i am afraid for infant children i am afraid for old men mm. and the young one as well due because of infections so these are my fears that uh, before i was thinking we were afraid that people will die of hunger but now uh, i am more afraid that uh, people will die because of infections and diseases Naroz do you have any hope? Uh yes. Uh I am hopeful. But I want things to work a bit faster. I know that uh, I can stay here and whatever I am doing uh, we will help people to sustain. But if these diseases if no medical aid or doctor comes here or sets up a medical camp proper medical camp here if we don't get an expert uh, gynecologist uh, or some kind of uh, delivery room here sir, uh, because we have the medicines if these things get late then my hopes will start dying but still i'm hopeful and i think aid will come
And today I float an idea that if they are not sending a doctor, I will go to the city and I will privately hire someone. Please come here and give us your services and we will pay you for that. But we have limited resources. But I am hopeful. I am hopeful and uh, committed that uh, we could come out of this terrible current situation. And what's next for you and your family? Uh, we are here. We are trying to sustain and continue our relief camp and continue campaigning until the water is gone, until they are able to do something, work something, earn something, eat something on their own. Naroz, thank you so much. Thank you. Coming up, our correspondent in Pakistan, Shahmeh Baloch, on the responsibility the rest of the world has for the country's climate disaster. Shamir, we've just heard from Naroz Jamali right now, and his family are among the millions of people who have lost their homes and their livelihoods entirely. Can you tell me what will happen to these people now? Where are they going to go? This is the most important question, like where would they go? And will the government building their houses and will the government be helping them? And we see uh, humanitarian crisis, maybe right, not right now, but uh, it's already unfolding with, with uh, diseases and sickness. And apart from that, a, a food shortage. Uh, and adding to that, there has not been much support from the international community. That's why we're asking the entire world to respond uh, to this catastrophic climate that Pakistan is facing as a result of climate change. And the people are not praising the government and they, they're literally lambasting and criticizing the government. It would be a huge challenge for the government to settle these people and meet their needs. The ED Foundation itself says they have not reached out to more than 10% of the people affected. It means that the, the larger population, more than 80% population were affected. They have not been reached out yet. There has been a great deal of lead time and warning that these floods and monsoons would be a risk. Has the government been preparing for such an emergency? The government is not been prepared. The government machineries should have been it stands still and the government should have like uh, should know which areas would be affected like Kensha city happened city and Dadu district they were affected in 2010 as well when there there was already forecast of even the government should have come up with a with a very much good plan but at the same time there was a political crisis in Pakistan and an economic crisis the Imran Khan, Imran Khan was on road he was demanding fresh elections just imagine right now when the Dadu district in Bolstan were the, the, these two provinces were in water Imran Khan was former Prime Minister Imran Khan was holding rallies in Punjab asking for fresh elections Imran Khan said that the only way forward was to hold fair and free elections under a credible election commission of Pakistan. Like the government, entire the government is focus has been on Imran Khan, which shouldn't have been the case. They should have focused on the on the flood and doing precautionary taking precautionary measures, but they didn't do it. And what about India, Pakistan's neighbour, where there has obviously been long-standing tension between the two countries, but. India is also hugely vulnerable to similar ecological disasters. Shamir, 
Do you think the climate emergency could force them to cooperate for the interests of their people? They should be both should be focusing on how to deal climate crisis together because South Asian nations like Pakistan, India, with uh, Sri Lanka, they all are at the receiving end. So the politics between Pakistan and India should be better. Like just imagine Pakistan is facing a crisis of, of having no tomatoes and onions, like they, but the government is not ready to import onions and tomatoes from India. You, you should be uh, like in a position to import vegetables, no matter it's not neighbor, you can't change your neighbor, neighbor countries in a country like India. Uh, and, and a country like Pakistan, they should be accepting each other rather than investing in military. The same fund and amount should be invested in, in, in the welfare of people and tackling climate crisis. And the Pakistan particularly need to change its policies. Do you think there is a serious international relief effort for Pakistan now? I don't see uh, like the international community as so far help Pakistan in a way they should have. So far, according to the planning and development minister, Pakistan has faced the losses which are more than $10 billion. And it's quite huge. People have lost everything from their livelihoods, livestock to, to arms, roads, bridges, and everything is lost. And it's still the, the worst, I think, uh, and it's very grim. The worst is yet to come because once this relief work is done, we will seeing a food shortage and there is there are diseases. We heard from Pakistan's climate minister, Sherry Rahman, last week, and she said these floods are simply beyond anything ever seen before. Literally one third of Pakistan is underwater right now, which has exceeded every boundary, every norm we've seen in the past. We've never seen anything like this. Even the 2010 super floods, which had uh, literally wiped out half the country was better than this. I mean, we are much worse today. So I think it's taking time for our international friends to understand how egregious and catastrophic the calamity is. How do you process what's happened? It is a climate disaster and it's not Pakistan's own making, but it's, it's a making of the industrialized world. And Pakistan contributes less than 1% in carbon emission, but it's on the receiving end. It snowed. It snowed. Literally, it snowed in uh, two weeks ago. It, it always snows there in, in December or January. And this is literally climate change snowing in August. It's unbelievable. And, and heat waves crossing the 50 degrees Celsius uh, in May. That, that has never been the case. Then followed by an abnormal monsoon. Shamir Baloch, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was Shamir Baloch and Naruz Jamali. My thanks to them. You can follow more on this story and read Shah's piece, There Is Nothing For Us, Pakistan's Flood Homeless Start to Despair, at theguardian.com. If you would like to make a donation, head to dec.org.uk for the Disaster Emergency Committee's Appeal for Pakistan. There is also a GoFundMe and charity auction involving Pakistani artists and writers, including Mohsin Hamid and Fatima Bhutto, which you can find a link to on our podcast page. That GoFundMe is donating to NGOs including the Edie Foundation and Child Life Foundation. 
And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Sarah Larnuk. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producers are Elizabeth Cassin, Phil Maynard and Huma Halili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.